0: The failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time.
1: Making changes takes courage. And if we don't change things, we won't have a future. We need a president who respects science, who understands that the damage from climate change is already here.
0: You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not.
1: Zero Carbon East. Hall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series Three. I'm Ian Collins. We have, of course, been away for a bit of a summer break. It appears that everything we've discussed for the last year or so on this podcast has suddenly found itself front and center of the international debate. Everything from fuel shortages Energy companies disappearing, environmental protests to our own magnificent leader addressing the United Nations and invoking the memory of Kermit the Frog. There's a lot to wade through, Dale. Good morning.
0: Yeah, morning in. It's been a while, isn't it? August seems like uh, it took, took a long while to pass. In fact, it's late
1: September now, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. Where, 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 where have we been? Yeah, I know. In a way, this is kind of a, a pre launch of the launch of Series 3 because. Uh, Next week, we'll be back up and running in the normal sense, but we thought it was probably wise uh, and makes perfect sense to to really focus on the big headlines this week. I mean, you've scarcely been out of the news yourself because you've been in and out of news studios, radio, television, newspapers, uh, and the like on this very point because there is, well, to quote many headlines, an energy crisis. Is that right?
0: Yeah. And as you say, this is our crisis edition, isn't it? Not quite the proper kickoff of season three. And uh, yeah, I've been in the news, but not making the news, fortunately, if you know what I mean. It hasn't been about yeah. me so much as, uh, as about me talking about what the hell is going on. And this crisis, oh my word, it is special. There's a lot to say.
1: I mean, if, if somebody was coming down, look, let's look at it like this. If somebody was coming down from another planet and said, ah, oh, Dale, you're Dale Vince. Tell us about this crisis. How would you explain it?
0: So that sounds like I'd be talking to a government minister, doesn't it?
1: Yes, yeah. I actually had the memory of Grant Shapps in my head when I said that. Yeah, coming
0: down from like, you know, some other alien planet and going, <laughs> oh well, yeah, what exactly is happening here in the what world? What is going on? So, the energy crisis began like this, a kind of cluster of problems in the electricity sector, if I may say that. So... Two nuclear power stations failed to come out of maintenance at the end of the summer, causing a shortage of electricity. Meanwhile, the summer was the lowest wind speed one that we've had in 60 years, causing another shortage of electricity from our wind fleet. Meanwhile, one of the cables that connects us to the continent through which we bring electricity when we need it simply burnt down. All of those things made us rather chronically short of electricity. And our system turns to gas to fill in the hole at the same time as the rest of the world was turning to gas as well. It was in short supply, high demand, which drove the price up. But on top of that, the Russians reduced the supply of gas to Europe by 25% for political reasons. And Britain. Is chronically short of gas storage. We have 1% of Europe's storage with 10% of its population. So all of these factors created the immediate energy crisis, but they're really the symptom. Uh, pretty much rather than the cause. Right. Britain depends utterly on global markets for our for our energy supplies. And we have no control or say in what happens in that market and where the price goes to. That's just been like that for a long time. Fundamentally, um, we need to build our own forms of energy, electricity and gas from renewable sources. We have to do that anyway to fight the climate crisis. It makes great sense to do it. We'll create an enormous amount of jobs and great economic strength. But at the same time, there are real problems in the energy industry, something like 60 participants. And over the last few years, Ofgem and the government have allowed... An enormous number of small players into the sector with some pretty crazy business plans, no real finance behind them. They haven't been hedging their power in advance, so they've not been protecting themselves. And it's all kind of come home to roost at the same time. So we've seen six bankruptcies in the last 10 Mm. days. But for the last two years, we've seen one every six weeks anyway. You know, this market is a real mess. And where energy companies are particularly badly hit, is that they can't put their prices up to compensate for the higher price of gas. A business would normally do that, just put up their prices when the input cost goes up. But the government forced a price cap on the sector a few years ago, and they won't budget. And so these companies are just going bankrupt because they're buying in energy at a far higher cost than what they're
1: allowed to sell it for, which is just incredible. Indeed. And, And no, you know, in layman's terms, no reserves.
0: Yeah, I mean, they have no reserves They're just like leaking money. The government is saying, we won't move the price cap. We won't let this global event affect people's energy bills. And I mean, that's the height of stupidity. This is a King Canute-like stance to take to try and resist this force of nature, uh, this force of, you know, a a global market, which has driven the price up. And there is no way that we can avoid these prices. We'll pay for them one way or another. At the moment, we're paying for them in bankruptcies and stranded customers. And in a minute, government will either be paying the big six to take on the stranded customers, yep, or they're going to take them on themselves and start their own energy company, which <laughs> is the height of madness. But I hope they do it because they need to know from experience just how crazy it is to be in the energy market right now.
1: Yeah. And I, I have this image, and I might have got this wrong, Dale, but just what what you, you, you spoke to me on the radio in the week, and we discussed this, and we're, we're obviously going over these points now. Um you know, you often hear about private equity companies getting together, a load of city boys sitting around a table going, here's a great idea, Tarquin, we can really earn some great bunts here. And coming up with, you know, how to disrupt or purchase or do something like that. I sort of have that image in my head that that might have happened with some of these energy companies that kind of just sprung up out of nowhere with no credible business plan and no insurance policy of their own to uh, be able to guard against things like this. Is is that sort of loosely what you imagine might have happened in some of these cases.
0: Yeah, except I don't think they were like private equity players uh, necessarily, not not amongst the smallest of the new entrants. Uh, you know, they were, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, you know, adventurers people that saw the energy market and thought, oh, we can make some money here, you know, and they all yeah. came in with the same kind of business plan, ironically, which is to sell electricity at a super cheap price. Uh, They were all loss making because of it, but they were doing it to grow a customer base quickly, hoping to sell themselves or put the prices up later. But they created over a two or three year period, this false narrative within the sector that was picked up by the regulator, the media and the government, that basically energy companies were ripping people off with high prices. And that caused the price cap, which is a super irony to me, because then these guys weren't able to put their prices up. and, And what they'd been boasting was uh you know a competitive reality and they were the good guys was then imposed upon them and right now it's killing them uh, and you know it's, it's, you kind of couldn't make that stuff up i reckon but you know they all came in with the same fairly reckless business plans some of them have been well funded like bulb for example who so far have run up 200 million in losses funded by venture capitalists and people like that but they're on the edge now with nearly 2 million customers and if they go it'll be a pretty traumatic event for the industry
1: yeah. So, what, what, what about Ecotricity? Let's, let's bring it back to your own company. I mean, you've been answering lots of questions about the, the, the wider issue. What, what about your own setup? I mean, you guys have functioned very differently from the aforementioned. That's clearly a saving grace now. Yeah, a big saving grace. We've got two actually,
0: uh, but um, probably the biggest is that we hedged. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we secured energy and gas in advance. It's a proper way to do things. And um, we got uh, 90% hedged for the next 12 months, which is as far as you can practically do. The other 10% are at the peak times of the day and you just can't buy them in advance. And so we have an exposure, but it's nowhere near the exposure of a company that's not hedged. And you know, not hedging is a strategy actually from some companies. It's basically a gamble. You go short into the market. Yeah. Um, and for the last few years, it's worked out for everybody that did it because the market price kept falling and then you win. But when the market price goes up, you lose
1: big wow. time. And that's yeah. what's happening now. Yeah. If you're landing on red and not black. Um, yeah. At some point, the, the, the stats, are, you know, the <laughs> law of averages are going to be against you at some point, And that's where we're at right now. We keep hearing these headlines. I'm listening to Grant Shapps this morning uh, doing a tour of the. TV studios, Kwasi Kwatang. Uh, again, we'll come back to that and his nuclear plant idea. Um, but the, the big question, of course, that keeps coming up is: Are we going to see this? That the, the phrase "winter of discontent" keeps coming up. Three day weeks, the lights going out, candles being lit. I mean, what is it that? Because we've got all sorts of other things going on at the moment. You know, from food to gas, fuel to furlough. There's this almost perfect storm of jip coming our way.
0: <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? Overnight, there was the news that petrol stations are running out of petrol. Yeah, again, right, yeah. you know, first time since uh, twenty twenty. That's it, not that long ago, is it? Yeah. Anyway, uh, so petrol's running out. The shelves of supermarkets are empty. Uh, we've got a chronic shortage of drivers uh, and and care workers actually, and um, bin men are leaving the bin jobs to get HGV jobs because they pay better. Yeah, um, which is incredible. People in the social sector are leaving there because Amazon pays better. You never thought you'd hear that. No, um, and our government just seem completely unfit for the job here because the response in every case is just wrong. You know, Johnson said, "Oh, this energy crisis will be over in three weeks. It's okay. We'll protect everybody from rising prices. We'll do everything we have to do." Reality is. Quatang came out yesterday and said, we're not going to help anybody out energy company wise. We aren't even going to pay the big six to take the stranded customers. And so if we have to, we'll start our own energy company madness. You know, when it comes to lorry drivers, the the HGV industry has been very clear to the government, just change the rules to allow some. Drivers in from other countries, you know, to reverse some of the effects of Brexit because we have a chronic shortage. Government refuses, says, now we're going to skill everybody up and it's all part of our high wage, high skill economy. But, you know, where are the people coming from? If they leave one job to get an HGV job, they leave a job, they leave a hole, you know, we just don't have enough people. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just incredible how long before we see the army, not on the streets to quell unrest, but driving HGVs and stacking supermarket shelves and maybe even working in care homes, you know, how long before that happens?
1: So we've run out of gas and we've run out of people. So we're in this, like, (laughs) very strange. This is like a bad Netflix show, isn't it, ready to happen? It's like Um,
0: some kind of apocalypse, but a a kind of gentle one, you know. It's like an economic (laughs) apocalypse, you know.
1: (laughs) So where, I mean, again, layman's terms – where is all the gas? Who's got all the gas? I mean, the, the other day there was gas. Today there's no gas. What? Where is it?
0: The s- producers of oil and gas effectively are a cartel, and they manipulate the markets. They control supply, a bit like housing developers do in Britain. They land bank, and they restrict the amount of homes they build every year so that the price is stupidly high, and they make a lot of money. Um, oil and gas companies globally do the same, you can see Russia doing it to Europe for political reasons, but yeah. uh, you know OPEC are the kings of this. And they do it openly. They, you know, there are no secrets. They get together and they say, how much should we supply into the market today? That depends on what price we want to get. I mean, it's crazy that we are um, beholden to this abuse of the free market in the way that we are. The answer is to simply ramp up the building rate of renewables, wind and sun, so that we get to 100% green electricity. We could do that in 10 years from where we are. We're at 40% today, yeah. we can get to 100% in 10 years. And on the gas front, the answer is grass. It's growing under our feet, it'll never run out, we have enough of it, we could be independent for gas for our homes in about 10 years if we just get after it. And then right. these shocks in the system that we endure every few years, this is not new, it's not the first, it's just the biggest in in my time in the energy industry, um, There'll be another one, you know, but we can, we can end all of that. And the $1 billion that we spend that leaves our economy every week of the year won't. It'll stay here in Britain, creating hundreds of thousands of jobs, yeah. you know, cleaning up the air, all those good things that we know renewable energy does. And at the same time, because we have to do this to fight the climate crisis anyway.
1: What are we waiting for? When, when you say grass, you mean so we can all smoke it so we don't give a shit? Well, is that the answer to this?
0: Could be one option.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, just expand on that, though, when you say there's a lot of grass out there, which there is, of course. How would that factor into this?
0: Well, we've um, we've announced this week, it's great timing for us, we were doing it anyway, uh, but right in the middle of this gas crisis, we've announced a new way to make gas, which is from grass, and our first project is being built in Reading. We've been working on the ideas for many years now, um, and this first project will make enough gas for 4,000 local homes by harnessing 3,000 acres of land all around it. It's based on a farm, so we won't use lorries to transport the fuel. We'll just use tractors and trailers, so it's, it's really super low impact. The wow. gas itself is carbon neutral over a very short lifespan of about six months, and we can put it into the gas grid. And you can't tell the difference between it and fossil fuel gas. We can keep the same boilers, keep the same cookers. Nothing has to change. All we have to do is change the gas that we put into the grid in the way that we've been doing with electricity for 20-odd years. So it's a wonderful idea. And then if you look at the amount of um, grass in Britain to see what's the potential here, there's actually enough uh, being grazed at the moment by animals in the, in the food industry There's more than enough to actually power all of Britain's homes. Uh, We need two-thirds of it, actually, two-thirds of farmland that's being grazed. If we turn it over to grass for gas, then we become independent for gas. But that has an impact on our diets. When you look at that, we need a 10% reduction in red meat consumption to compensate for that, which is 1% a year for 10 years. If you look at the Climate Change Committee's uh, targets for us to get to zero carbon as a country, they're saying we have to cut that consumption by at least 20%. So we're well under that threshold. And if you look at the drop in red meat consumption over the last 10 years, it's 30%. So we're well under the background noise anyway. So it's a simple change in our diet, a gradual reduction of 1% a year, and we can give that land up to make gas and be independent.
1: There is another option, of course. Uh, the business sector has come up with it, a new nuclear power plant. (laughs) Yeah, you got to love it. You're not (laughs) going to build that by next Tuesday anyway, are you?
0: (laughs) you got to love it. Why does this pop its head up, you know, all of the time? Why are we fixated on these huge, expensive, slow solutions? So it takes 10 years to plan a nuclear power station. It takes 10 years to build a nuclear power station. And then it takes another 10 years for it to be carbon neutral. We haven't got 30 years. We haven't even got 10 years. Uh, you know, we, we've got to get this done now.
1: This is in Wales, this, uh, this supposed idea. Um, the business secretary is reported to be a key advocate of the new plant. But as you say, I mean, 30 years away? That's madness. It's madness. I mean, look at Hinkley. It's been, it's been going on for 20
0: years or something. It's, it's still not ready. It's over budget and, yep. and it's late. And every nuclear power station ever built anywhere in the world comes in over budget and late. Yeah. It's just the way they are. And expensive. You know, actually, it's looking it's looking relatively reasonably priced in today's crisis. Uh, but, but this won't endure. You know, the price yeah. will drop back down. Hinkley was a, priced about two or three times the wholesale market price. I mean, why should we be paying that? The government makes a lot of fuss about the, the size of energy bills. They're protecting consumers by not allowing these global price shocks, by forcing energy companies out of business, basically. But they make all those noises about concern about energy bills. And then they say, let's build some nukes and make us all pay two or three times more for the privilege. It's yeah. madness.
1: Uh, This came in from Lisa on Twitter. It ties in with what you've just been talking about. I know you did the piece with the Daily Express and then Twitter kind of exploded at the idea that you're going to be taking away our boilers or something. Lisa says, are you back on the weed? How can we possibly, how can you possibly tell us to keep our old gas boilers? Well,
0: we had some fun on Wednesday. As you say, we did launch with the Daily Express, not just our green gas plan, but a campaign off the back of that to save our boilers. And we were saying to people, look, Boris Johnson wants to take your gas boiler. We all know that, you know, he's come out and said he's going to ban them and that kind of stuff in favour of heat pumps. What we did was we did a calculation. We looked at the number of homes in Britain on the grid. Only 80% of all homes are on the grid. And then we took into account the 20% hydrogen contribution that we say should happen, and the government does actually, which is a bit of a weird place to be. But we took that into account and said, that's 18 million homes that need a heat pump. And when you crunch all the numbers, because heat pumps use an awful lot of electricity, we need a bigger grid, more windmills, all that kind of stuff, and it's 8,000 pounds per household. When you crunch the numbers, that program cost 300 billion quid. So then we looked at green gas instead and said, how do we do 18 million people's worth of green gas? And it came at 30 billion quid, one-tenth of the price. But it was the headline that grabbed people's attention. You know, we had a a day of fun on social media saying to people, have you read the article? And they're like, "Uh, no, just a headline. We're like, wow. You know, I was accused of being back on the weed, being a sellout to the fossil fuel industry. And even George Monbiot waded in with the – uh, a comment to, to the effect that my plan was dangerous, and, and I'm sure he hasn't read it or doesn't understand it. I'm going to be in touch with him, but it's a, you know, it's a pretty decently researched approach comparing green gas with uh, heat pumps, and green gas wins, and, and therefore keeping our boilers wins. You know, yeah, and, yeah. And the thing is, and this is what people don't really understand: we've been doing it in electricity for twenty odd years, making a different kind of electricity and putting it in the grid. When it's in the grid, it's identical; you can't tell. We can do that with gas. We don't have to rip up the gas grid yes. in favour of heat pumps. We can keep it. We haven't got to pull out our boilers. That's the
1: same thing. No, nobody them. is suggesting that the notion of gas, it, it has to go. So the the boiler is merely just the mechanism, isn't it? It's just a, yeah. a bit of kit that, that, that powers it all and makes it work. It's just a, it's it's yeah. the clock behind the, uh, the, the, the fuel, as it were. It's what the fuel
0: is that's the issue. Yeah, and this is what's wrong with the government's thinking. They think we've got to stop using gas. Actually, we've got to stop using fossil gas.
1: Yeah, there's the big difference. And that's the difference. Well, let's just finish on this point. Uh, The leader of our country addressing (laughs) the United Nations. And when Kermit the Frog, Kermit the Frog, sang, It's not easy being green. You remember that one? I want you to know that he was wrong. He was wrong. It is easy. It's not any easy, it's lucrative and it's right to be green. He was also un- unnecessarily rude to Miss Piggy, I thought, uh, Kermit the Frog. So that came fresh on the back of Boris saying, we've all got to grow up. And his way of articulating that was to invoke the memory of the Muppets. Oh, I mean, I love that and hate that
0: all at the same time. It's so funny. It's so <laughs> hypocritical. I mean, we've got Boris Johnson telling the world to grow up for f- Sake, what's happening there? You know,
1: but is he right? Because he said, you know, when when Kermit says it's not easy being green, Boris is saying, no, actually, it is easy being green, and it makes sense to be green. So, well, does he get a house point from you on that point?
0: <laughs> no, no, because I mean, if if he says it's easy being green, I think he's deluded because he probably thinks he's being green. But you've just got to look at his domestic record. You know, the new coal mine in Cumbria. What's going on with that? The third runway at Heathrow. Drax becoming the biggest gas-fired power station in Europe. That's well-timed, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) The 26 billion road program. HS2 destroying, you know, what's left of ancient woodlands in Britain. I mean, Boris Johnson is anything but green. I think he finds it easy to claim to be green. um, And in his head, it's easy to be green. But he isn't green um, any more than he's grown up. I mean, it's an incredible thing for him to say. But, you know, what it reminds me of is Trump – When Trump used to call out fake news, it was the ultimate in, I don't know, hypocrisy or something. It's like the pot calling the kettle black. When Trump said fake news, you're like, sorry, but you invented fake news. Do you know what I mean? And there's Boris Johnson saying, come on, we've all got to try harder. That starts at home, Boris, you know? And all this is, is a bit of window dressing for COP26, a bit of drum banging and, you know, apparent leadership. But there's no real action here in Britain, no policies that are going to help us get there. And that's what's, that's the worrying thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, there we go. That was a cracking, if you like, pre-episode to the official launch of season three next week. Um, and I'm sure you will still be touring TV <laughs> and radio studios for the next seven days. Uh, well, guessing, uh, I, I,
0: guess, I guess I've guess i got an electric car, so that helps, you know, but yeah, if awesome. I had a petrol car, I might yeah. be struggling with my...
1: Yeah, with I, my I tend not to take any energy-based story seriously now, unless you appear. So. <laughs> Thank once you. once i see you i think right now we're in business uh have a good week dale and we'll speak next week yeah thanks ian Brilliant. So we are sort of back but the official launch next week don't forget to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically if you want to get in touch you can email zero at uk, and make sure you follow dale on social media on twitter and on facebook Zero carbon east off.